everyone. Well, welcome to um, the very first episode of a podcast that I'm starting up. Uh, really, it's just a, a bit of a chat between a couple of friends. Um, we sort of thought about it because uh, we, we were sitting around the couch one day just, just talking about general stuff and we thought, you know, we don't really get much of an opportunity to sometimes talk about some of the more sort of deeper issues, so to speak. It's not, and I don't mean that as in deep and meaningful type stuff, but just, you know, things that are perhaps a bit more broader, a bit more philosophical or societal, a bit about sociology, like how do systems work and how do, how do people work and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, don't really have a name for this series of podcasts, and really this is just a bit of a trial. Um, but I thought uh, before I get too much further, I might do a bit of an introduction of who else is sitting here. So my name's Scott. Um, I'm the, the host for this podcast. Uh, by day, I'm a management consultant in the uh, Victorian public sector. Uh, and then in my downtime, I like to uh, come up with some business ideas and all sorts of stuff. So uh, I'm dabbling in just a bit of everything. But personally, I'm very interested in things like psychology, sociology, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I'm very, very interested in those kinds of things. So with me, I've got a, a good friend of mine, Adrian Jando. Hi there. How you going? My name's Adrian, and I, I would consider myself the, the co-host, purely by virtue of this is our living room. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, pretty much. I, I work at NAB, um, just working in the bank. Um, don't really know what I do, don't really have an opinion on anything, but you're going to get one. I want to come up with one between now and when, when the conversation actually starts. <laughs> Pretty. Oh yeah, man. Uh, my name is Brett, and uh, I'm also obviously good friends with Scotty and AJ. Um, my interests are in education, neuroscience, and uh, and dancing some Bollywood on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a got a, a last minute casting call to join the the Good Easter, a Good Friday Easter appeal on Channel Seven, and we had to learn a Bollywood dance two days ago, basically. Smashed it in two hours. <laughs> Smashed it out. Mm. Exactly. <clears throat> All right, so we'll get into the the topic for today, and, and um, the topic I'm going to talk about is a bit of a broad one. Um, it's essentially safety and protection as a public value outcome in the Australian society. So, firstly, let me sort of give you a background as to why I sort of picked this. The reason is basically in my job as a in my in my day job at the consultancy firm, I'm currently writing a blog on safety and protection. And in this blog, we're, what we're looking at is saying, well, when different organizations, you know, government, businesses, whatever, they come together, there are certain public value outcomes, you know, sort of societal community outcomes that they all should be sort of delivering towards. Um, a lot of the conversation we've had so far is around, well, what exactly are some of these outcomes? So safety and protection, for example, is one of them. But Things like equality and fairness and uh, uh, preservation and environment, for example, are, are other topics that we're talking about. And I've been tasked with writing the one about safety and protection, which is quite an interesting um, one for me as I sort of started researching and getting into it. So <clears throat> with safety and protection, where, where I sort of started in my thinking with this was uh, I tried to do a bit of research. And there was a little story that I came across of someone who was in Iceland which is reputedly one of the most safest, safest countries in the world. And the story he started off with was that he was basically walking down the street as a, you know, like a, as a tourist, who's someone who's just gone to Iceland. 
in the distance, he could see there's a massive storm coming. It's about to start snowstorming and all that sort of stuff. And this car just pulls up next to him. Older gentleman opens the door and just goes, do you want to get in? Now, this guy, he sort of reflected on this and thought, well, in, back in his hometown, which is uh, in, in America, um, in the US, sorry, um, he wouldn't have probably have done this because, you know, stranger danger, mm-hmm. and like, who, who is this guy? And mm-hmm. like, can you imagine if you're a woman, for example, in this kind of situation? Like, yeah. your inclination is to say no, even mm-hmm. though the gesture is quite altruistic. And yeah. he's offering candy. And yeah. he's offering candy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <say> yes. it. <laughs> full of candy. <laughs> and so it, it got me thinking, which is, you know, well, if this situation happened here in, in Melbourne, Australia, which is where we are, you know, what would you guys do? Would, would you... Would you um, I think, for me, it depends on the context. Like, if there's a storm coming, then that's kind of like why why you would have uh, someone potentially offering something like that puts the context differently. Like if there was a bushfire mm. and someone came up and said, "Hey, man, you want to lift?" I was like, "Yeah, hell yeah!" yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's the contextual there. Well, I, ordinarily, I, on a general day to day basis, it, no, no, no. If someone came out of the blue and said that, you no. wouldn't. Yeah. I think. I mean, I I might. I think it depends on on how I perceive the person. As obviously speaking from a guy's perspective, like if, if, <laughs> as a girl, I generally would say no. Yeah. But um, but um, that's only on weekends. So on <laughs> nine to five stuff, I'd, I'd probably uh, I'd probably say yes if it was going the way I was going. And uh, but what, if, didn't, you, what uh, if you didn't like ask for a lift and they just yeah. stopped? If I, if I didn't feel particularly threatened by the person, I'm I'm not averse to it, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether it's because I, I just, I'm not overly afraid of, of taking those risks or whether, um, whether I'm just an idiot and I'm going to, I'm going to die within the next few weeks. (laughs) Okay. So what do you think should be the ideal outcome here? For example, and I ask that as in, in a, let's call it an ideal society, would you get into, like, should people actually say yes to these things, fully trusting that? Most of the time, these or all the time, these gestures are altruistic. Well, I think in an ideal society, it'd be great <laughs> if you could all just say, "Yeah, great, let's you know, give me a lift where you're going." Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I've been in that situation before where um, someone's actually come up to me at the lights. It was a girl. Yeah. That came up to me at the lights and she goes, knocks on my window, goes, "Hey, I, I need to lift to the station. I'm in a rush. You know, I'm going to be late to work." Yeah. And I thought of, I thought it was strange as the driver, and I went, "Oh, you, you sure you're going to be comfortable with just?" hopping in a, a stranger's car and I ended up giving her a ride almost all the way to the city from, yeah. from Glen Waverley. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was fine. And I think if, if that was the way it worked, um, all the time, then you know, obviously it'd be great, but no, need um, taxis. no need for taxis. <laughs> yeah. No, it wouldn't be so good for them, would it? Yeah. But, um, but I made a profit out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, Ready? What do you reckon? Um, I don't know. I, I I have a problem with the whole definition of an ideal society. I don't I don't mm. think that being hundred percent safe all the time is ideal. Actually, like mm. I think people would probably maybe get too lazy and not really kind of get up off their asses and do some stuff. So I think by having hundred percent protection and safety all the time mm. is not necessarily a good thing. So. Well, okay. Well, perhaps so let me sort of rephrase that. I guess 
knowing that there is no such thing as that kind of ideal society, let's say mm. it's something to work towards mm. even, mm. you know, is, do you feel like that is a situation where we should work? I mean, okay, in, in other words, I, I, I would say that the, the ideal society is one where, for the most part, you can trust this situation. That well, think... if someone is pulling up and you, can, you have the confidence to be able to go, yes, like, like this example from Iceland, you know, yeah. yes. I, I, I'm going to trust this guy that he's just been altruistic. I think that's I think that's <clears throat> an idea that appeals to me more is that idea of trust. Yeah. So, like, even though anything can happen, mm. if you had trust in the situation or a community that fostered trust, mm. then that is a nicer place to live. Yeah. Even though you know things can go wrong from yeah. time to time, but if the overall feeling is one of trust between strangers and mm. common folk. Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting way they've explained that because in in my research, as I sort of looked further into this topic and a bit of analysis to where we're trying to go with it, there are a few things that I came up with, right? So, uh, sorry, not I came up with a few things I sort of started to see a bit of pattern in. So, for this scenario to occur, okay, so let's say for the the Icelandic situation to occur, there's a few things involved inherent in this. First is that there is trust between the individuals. So, as the driver, I trust that if I pick you up, you're not going to murder me. Mm. And then, and vice versa for the passenger, that if I get into the car, then something, you know, nothing's going to happen, right? But that's a one-to-one relationship between you and the, and the stranger. Mm. How do you foster that type of trust between complete strangers? Because that, that scenario would happen again and again. And now, to get there, you then have to look a bit more broadly to the community, mm. right? So that you have the confidence in the community that everyone by and large would act the same sort of a way right so so you see what i'm trying to say is that again yeah. for it's interesting that the the individual even though that's the most personal element of it mm. it's actually the broader community which enables that kind of shortcutting to occur because otherwise the alternative is that you have to try and establish trust with every single person you know it's a communal sort of shortcut so to speak mm-hmm. yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah. But if you if you have a policy that is sort of um, provided by a government body or something like that, mm. then that's actually taking away trust from people. Sort of saying like we don't really trust you to do it right, so we're just going to put this in place, some rules in place, so that you mm. do do it right. Mm. And so I, I feel like trust <laughs> is only really gained by having the freedom to do anything but having perhaps some good role models that yeah. people go, yeah, no, nah, that's cool. I like that idea. And people just kind of rally behind that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to say, yeah, it has to be culturally driven. Mm. So it just has to be part of the culture that people would go, yeah, cool. It's, it's, a, cool, it's a good thing and it's a nice thing to, to pick people up. And, and if you do the, the dodgy and, um, and charge them excessive amounts for the lift, yeah. then, um, <laughs> um, then, you know, you're not cool and... Um, you can't come to the party. Let me throw a few other sort of um, elements into this as part of the as part of this sort of research. So, one little sort of sentence that I found um, from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, of all places, sums up what I think is sort of the the, the sort of the public value outcome of safety and why, firstly, why we should go towards a safe society. They they write. If people feel unsafe, this can influence their socialization patterns through limiting or avoiding social activities and can reduce trust within neighborhoods by weakening an individual's sense of community. <clears throat> Pardon me. So this is what the ABS is sort of trying to say. 
Um, and if you break that down, there's quite a lot that's involved in there, isn't there? Because it, the, now we're starting to talk about things like, it's like safety, you know? So with this lift, this is only one specific, specific example, but you've got to go broadly beyond that. Walking down the street, am I going to get mugged? Mm. You know, there's a bit of a, call it a social contract that mm. everyone should be able to walk everywhere they want to without fear of being attacked, whether it's going for a run, whether we, in light of recent um, situa news, you know, situations in the news, um, you know, going out doing your shopping, all that kind of stuff. So if you break, break this down, so when we talk about trust before, there's quite a lot more involved mm. in it. Mm. Let me throw another statistic to you, which is that Australia is currently ranked 15th in the world on the Global Peace Index. Mm. Okay, so this the internal is... Peace. So, uh, no, just global peace index. Right. Now, what breaks down, so what some of the metrics that they use to measure this include things like terrorism, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the number of war conflicts between countries or whether civil war or external war, mm -hmm. um, down to um, the number of firearms that people own, mm -hmm. to the number of firearms that police own, which I thought was an interesting, like yeah. the police yeah. carry, yeah. which yeah. I thought was quite interesting. Um, level of violent crime, political instability, organized crime, all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I sort of took from this, though, is that there's actually a few levels of what con contributes towards um, that ultimate pinnacle, which is trust between yeah. individuals, which mm, is, yeah. firstly, for there to be a safe community, you need to feel protected, or at least not at risk, from external or, or uncontrollable factors, you know. So if a community is at war, then no matter what, the community is not going to feel safe. Like, how do you know your village is not just going to be bombed out of existence? Mm. You don't know, right? Yeah. So we have broad sort of national level, you know, massive community-wide level, um, safety and protection sort of elements. Then we drop down a level to internal community. So... Actually, no, let me take a step back. So at that, yeah, so at that, at that broad state level, what are the, some of the things that enable safety and protection? So we're talking now army, mm. navy, air force, all that sort of stuff, you know, mm. um, spy, counterterrorism, they're all massive broad level things. Mm. So once that's, like, we don't normally, most people wouldn't see that, you know, that's just out there somewhere. But they contribute to us feeling that Australia, hey, it's pretty safe, we're probably not going to be invaded, we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I think that's dependent on location as well, though. I mean, that's you've right. got places like New Zealand, no army, no air force. Well, um, they still have a defense force. Well, I'm pretty sure we could invade them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's now we're talking about trust between countries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> still saying we should. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. then you've got um, con uh, the confidence in the, the community level. So here we're talking about things like emergency services, mm. you know, police, um, uh, fire, you know, ambulance, all that kind of stuff. You know, do people feel safe? Even down to things like work safe. Mm. You know, those kinds of occupational, occupational health and safety because these contribute towards safety yeah. in your work yeah. and as you sort of travel. You know, so there's quite a lot of those those kinds of things. And then you get down to the individual protection. You know, which is I don't know, maybe it's personal security alarms or whatever it might be. So you can sort of see that there's quite a few sort of levels of things that contribute towards safety and protection mm. as a community thing. And when those things are all sort of met, then you can have that free-flowing sort of trust between individuals, so mm. to speak. Yep. Yep. Now, what do you guys reckon about, about that? Well, I definitely reckon that, like, obviously, there is that levelling effect. There's 
it's yeah. present. But I was interesting to think about, like, say for example, the Iceland thing again. Mm. If it wasn't just some old man that rocked up, but actually some sort of a service car, like something that actually patrols the streets looking for people who might be needing to go somewhere to get away from the storm, mm. that was a service that was provided by the state or something like that, that that would be a different feeling because it's been set up as a, someone's job role for the community to do that rather mm. than just a random stranger doing it. So like, whereas a stranger does it, it's almost like, yeah, there's that element of trust. But if the state does it, it's like that idea of um, service almost. It's, it's different to, to trust. Mm. It's mm. kind of like it's, it's established. So that, and that's interesting. So what you're saying is that one way of, in some way, sort of shortcutting um, trust in, in that particular example is to have the state step in and undertake some of those services. I think it's a good idea to have have um, some of those services done by the state because I mean, some of them is just so complicated that there, there needs to be um, a lot of rules and regulations in you know, quality assurance and mm. conduct and all that sort of stuff, you know, police and whatever. It's so much to do with it. But if it's just a general kind of good nature, goodwill gesture of a once-off, then that can be done by anybody. Yeah. But if something that is quite complex and needs strategic thinking, then obviously, you know, a an actual proper service is better. Uh, I've Does that got make sense? A, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. But let, let me put this back to you, though, which is should the state constantly provide that as a service or should the state um, provide, I don't know, maybe the types of protection or support that enables everybody to offer that as a service? So in other words, is the state there just to deliver that service versus can the state do other things that foster the trust and confidence in the community? In which case, then you don't need someone just driving around and that's their job, yeah. job description, drive around and mm. see people maybe need to be picked up, mm. you know, mm-hmm. versus everyone actually going out and helping each other. Yep. I think if you want to employ that, then back to the idea of culture, you do have to embed that early on. Mm. I think um, at, as it is, we couldn't just flick a switch and all of a sudden, you know, Melbourne is yeah. um, accepting of, yeah, just jump in a stranger's car and it's cool. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to have to start um, at an early age and just fostering that with, with the new generation yeah. and, and it would just develop that way. And I think you would also have to go the other way and put out um, some kind of response, some, some sort of um, legality behind it and say, these are the punishments for, for going against that, you know. Yeah, is it, well, is it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's you know, crime, well, uh, <laughs> only if they catch you. Creating <laughs> more criminals. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, um, I mean, things like, you know, if you're going to offer a service, you can't turn around and charge someone for it because you're not, you know, you're not, yeah. you're not qualified for that sort of thing. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, the, the, the other issue, of course, here is that, um, going back to Brett, what you were saying with, um, just having the state offer the service is that that inevitably comes back to who's paying for it. And that's yeah. where then the taxes come into it, you know, and could you imagine that, you know, Victoria, um, now offering, you know, a thousand drivers to drive around and just pick people up. Like it just, people would, there'd be such an upcry about it because people would consider it inefficient and, yeah, you know, yeah. like, does it really deliver any real benefits? Especially if you're essentially paying for that kind of trust. My question is, how, do you, how would the state actually foster it though? If it didn't provide the service, how can you foster something like that? 
Well, they they already do though. They already, this is what I'm saying is that um, already there's things like uh, well, police, fire, all these sort of elements are part of um, call it state provided um, support to enable trust. So, for example. If you know that if something, if a crime occurs, that someone will come along to essentially protect and look after it. If you know that there's going to be a riot, that there's going to be a police force that will come and control it. You know, these types of things. So what you're doing is we're providing trust in law enforcement Mm. to a body, which is the police force. And then supporting that is the justice system. Mm -hmm. So there's that, that kind of level of trust. And that's what... Well, essentially, the state sort of does, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's some. There's often people saying uh, that you know, look, that's the only thing that government should do: just protect people's safety, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's that's does does that sort of answer your question? Well, well but not really, because I'm. I guess my question is then: how does I mean, what other services would be offered or be fostered mm. by having those services already taken up, like having the the law enforcement and all that already mm. catered for? Fine. But they're fostering an environment for what? An environment for more safety. But they've they've done the safety. So why would you want to foster more safety? Oh, Do you know what I mean? If, oh, they, if they've already catered for it. Well, have they have they already catered for it? I mean, is it is there such thing as saying, or oh, they've provided eighty percent level safety? That's it. Their job's done, kind of thing. Or is it like an ongoing thing, right? Because like. The first, okay, let's say you've ne- you, you you were starting your own country, you know, Fishland, right? Fishland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and, um, well, the first thing that you do is that once you, let's say, install a police force, well, the first thing that they got to do is just establishing sort of law and order, you know, yeah, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. And then later on, it's kind of like, oh, well, how can we look at um, uh, putting the process in place to catch people to be sort of reactive, and then eventually it gets to being proactive, you know, and so uh, maybe a better example of this is uh, the the fire brigade. You know, they could go around and they're very, the Victorian fire brigade is very, very, very efficient. They go around, they protect fires, they put fires out, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So why do they then ask everyone to install fire alarms? Because that's a, a, a proactive preventative action. Mm. Okay. Mm. Why do they ask people in farmlands to cut down trees around their homes? Because yeah. it helps protect against the eventual possibility yeah, yeah, yeah. of fire. Yeah. So there's a lot of this kind of stuff that these, these kinds of bodies would do to try and um, enable better safety and better protection. And then you've got this trust in saying, oh, there is someone who's going out there and doing this research and doing this preventative research to find out, oh, this is the way that I can best protect myself. Now I feel safe at home. Yep. I still, I suppose now, I'm still confused about what the question is then. Mm. What, what, what about the impact to, to small businesses and that sort of thing? Um, not necessarily small business, a taxi service is not a small business, but what about the impact of them if we start um, freely offering rides and it becomes a cultural thing? I mean, it's a, it might be a big shift to, to, to them, to, to their profits, to their business. And, and we're not just limiting this to, to taxi driving. I mean, I'm not sure what else we're um, talking about, but if we're going to say, um, you know, all of a sudden we're going to freely offer all kinds of services, yeah. um, you know, all of a sudden what need have I got of um, government-provided services or, or small businesses where I can just ask my neighbour to help me? Yeah. It's going to be a big shift. Well, of course it will, but yeah. 
is it, is it for the better? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that's actually fundamentally the question. Like, there, there's no specific question uh, that I think we're really asking here. Mm. I think today mm. especially is really just a bit of a deconstruction. You know, we, we went from someone offering lift to someone to, mm. you know, mm. national level type stuff, yeah. you know. So it's really a case of, you know, where do you think we're really sort of going with this? Do you think, you know, things can be improved, so on and so forth? Yeah. Now, Adrian, to, to respond to your point quickly, there is an example mm. of a private industry in the taxi space, Uber. Mm. Now, Uber is completely private. Mm -hmm. they, they're obviously getting into a lot of trouble at the moment from a legal perspective because they're not regulated. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And that means they sit outside. So, obviously, for people who you know, want to be market-driven and competitive and stuff, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's cheap. It gets me from somewhere to, from point A to point B. Mm. That's it. What else is there to do? Mm -hmm. Now, if there was no regulation, if there was no company behind this, you know, we actually go back to this fundamental um, like example right at the start, which is I need to get someone, someone wants to offer me to take me somewhere. Is this guy a criminal? Is this car safe? Mm. How do I know I'm not going to be ripped off? How do I know that I'm not going to be taken somewhere and just beaten up or something like that? Mm. And so... Those are tiny kinds of areas where regulation can sometimes sort of come in to say, all right, well, to foster that kind of trust between people, let's put some rules down, mm. okay? Mm. If you're going to start offering a taxi service, well, make sure your car is of a good standard so your car's not just going to explode. Mm. And to be a taxi driver, get yourself a criminal check, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. Now, from a private industry, they can do it. Yep. How do they foster the trust? User reviews. Mm -hmm. This is the with the latest technology. This has become a very common way of mm -hmm. fostering trust without having to go through, you know, mm. which is user reviews. But you know, the the problem with user reviews, and well, rather the problem with the private industry setting these kinds of rules, is that uh, you can argue that they would always put pro um, profits first, right? Mm. Which is if they had to spend a million dollars to make sure there was one less crime, you know, per mm. say a million trips, would they? Mm. I, I don't know, you know, mm. would they think it's better to get, you know, just to get, be, be more profitable? Like, mm. I, I don't know, but that's, a, that's an example of where things are kind of shifting towards a, as they call it, like a market-driven kind of a, mm. um, response. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the other, the other point that I was going to make was how easy is it to foster these kind of, uh, this level of trust depending on how, how big the population is. So the, the bigger the population it is, the harder it would be to implement that kind of trust. Or mm. um, I think, you know, it's, it's obviously easier in a smaller community because it's easier to hold people accountable to, to um, develop that trust. Um, There's more transparency in a smaller community too. Yeah, yeah. People, people know each other more. Yeah. There's not faceless. That's of, right, that's yeah. right. And I can't imagine it would be possible to, to do something like that in that, that particular case of... Um, you know, offering lifts and having people trust those people out of the blue yeah. in a large populated area like America. I, I can't see it working. Yeah. Um, that's a very broad example, but yeah. <laughs> maybe America's in small, gonna fail. small town, yeah. Iowa, possibly yeah. New York, not so much. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and you get to a really interesting point now, which is um, that as populations grow, mm. And this is where having police force and justice systems come in, comes into it because mm. someone needs to control the outliers, the people who do the bad things. How mm. do you sort of control those things? And you get a question of, of scale, you know? Yeah. So for a population of 100,000 people, having a police force of 100, you know, at a particular cost may be sufficient. Get to a million people, well, can you have a police force of 100,000? 
yeah. get a 10 million, can you have a police force of 1 million, mm. you know, at 10%? It becomes extremely expensive to then continue to sort of do those things. And as a result of that, the sphere of their control gets, you know, it kind of misses some of the things around the edge, yep. so to speak. Yeah. You know? And that's a really interesting point. Like, let me uh, bring you back to the, the first example where, which the story where this lift came from was from Iceland. Mm, yeah. Population size? 300,000 yeah, okay. total, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So you can you can see that, like, if you There's try a... to implement their thing somewhere else, mm. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, it can be wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, let me let me share with you just a few other things, and this is additional tips more than anything else, of why, uh, some of the reasons listed for why Iceland is potentially considered the safest country, you know. So they have apparently very uh, little disparity between economic classes. Mm. So there's a lot more concept of equality. Cool. Um, they said like the, the richest man's or the richest, fa richest family's kids can go to school along with the poorest family's kids. Okay. Like it's just flat equal. So there's little sort of jealousy, call it, yep. between ranks. Yep. Right? They have low drug use. Mm -hmm. um, their education and social welfare, welfare is geared towards equality and egalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Very, very strong focus on preempting crime. Okay, okay. so if they see something, they will they will invest money in the preventative action. Yeah. And this is coming back to your point earlier, Fish, mm -hmm. which is about you know, well, once something is done, then what more is there to do? Well, yeah. things always change, and you yeah, have to come yeah, up yeah. with new ways of treating things. Yeah. And then finally, they they have very um, few gun related crime despite an almost 30% gun ownership in the, by the private sort of um, mm. community, yeah, right. which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, cool. yeah, okay. um, but yeah, uh, this, this really does go to your point, which is that population size does matter. Scale matters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's probably too cold to fire a gun there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just lock up every time. <laughs> yeah, as an, as, an, as an aside, my parents were in the Scandinavian countries for a holiday a couple of years ago. And they're... They, they went to a restaurant at like midnight because it was during summer and the, the sun was still out. Mm. And they're just like, oh, we're surprised you still open at midnight. And the restaurateurs were just like, yeah, that's because we're closed like nine months of the year because we just mm. snowed under. Yeah, so yeah. essentially you have a 300,000 population, which is only operational for three months <laughs> <laughs> of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure if like, there's any Icelandic listeners, I may have got, gotten some of those facts wrong, but... Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like Iceland is the outlier that needs controlling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to introduce more Maybe gun control there works because um, it's easier just to throw a bucket of water on them and then run for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Freeze! And... I think the culture is also a really interesting one as well because the gun-related crime is one of the factors that was um, considered in the the Global Peace Index. And you, you go to somewhere like America, you know, and their their gun culture is so big. They, they equate freedom with owning yeah. guns. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, for them, could you imagine that, you know, hey, if you okay. don't have guns, you're going to have to, you, you can trust each other. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, they, their whole reason for guns, and you listen to the NRA, their whole reason for having guns is you can't trust anyone. Especially mm. the English. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I think that the, like, overall, that there's always going to be checks and balances. Mm. Like, 
if you put in too many regulations to try and create a safe environment, mm. people are going to get annoyed that their freedoms are taken away. Mm. And then they fight back and there's not enough services, then they're going to be like, oh, you're not protecting us enough. So mm. Mm. it's always going to be some sort of middle ground. Yeah. And closing remarks, Adrian, as well? Um, I'm going to have some ice cream in a second. <laughs> I think I burnt it. <laughs> All right, so so in the end, I think we, we talked through quite a few things, and I go back to the reason why I thought this would be an interesting topic, is it's just to really break it down a little bit. You know, we started with an example of if a stranger comes, you know, offers you a ride, would you get in? And we sort of started talking about, you know, at a cultural level, what does that mean? At a, at a national level, at a community level. And you can sort of see that there's, there's quite a lot of complexity mm. in contributing towards trust between two people who just don't know each other, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's, it isn't that easy. It's not as easy as um, just saying, oh, let's just put, I don't know, CCTV cameras everywhere. Because some of these moves can actually have the reverse, you know. It's re- reinforcing the idea that it's not safe yeah. mm. out there, which is really interesting as well. Mm. You know, so those are some of the things that people perhaps need to sort of consider when, they, when they're when like, oh, we, we've got to have more police and more this and more that. And it's like, well, well shit, like, what, what does that actually mean? Mm. A, it'll be more expensive. But also B, is that really the right message as a community? You know, so it's, it's quite positive when you see the community rise up to say, yes, no, we are, we're going to march together because we want our society to be safe and, you know, all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for your, you. Uh, for your um, contributions today. I hope you guys um, enjoyed this. And like I said, this is our, our first podcast and we'll continue to explore where it goes and we'll play around and probably get some better equipment or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably helps. We're just, we're just sitting around a little sort of kitchen table. Uh, in a in a large living room at the moment. Mm. Adrian's looking at me because he really wants to get some ice cream. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, well, look out for our next podcast, and uh, if you're interested, keep listening. Cool. Yeah. Come get involved. Come get Jeez. involved. Exactly. Yeah. I'll see you guys later. See ya. Yeah. So I've recorded this part after we wrapped up recording uh, on the very first po- podcast. Uh, firstly, just to say, I hope you really enjoyed our podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. Uh, like I said, it is our first one. It is a trial, and we're just trying to... Well, I'm sure we'll get better at it as we go along. Uh, I've decided on a couple of things. First is that uh, I've decided to call the podcast Yes And. Uh, and the reason for this is that... So Yes And is uh, a reference to a workshop facilitation technique. Uh, and apparently it's an improv comedy technique as well. Uh, we have to respond to any argument or point of view with yes and. So you're, you're never allowed to say no or that's stupid or reject a point of view. And the whole idea is that, you, is that this really promotes acknowledgement of people's ideas and further discussion. So even if you flat out disagree, that you still have to say, well, I accept that this is your point of view. And I can disagree with it and I'll explain to you why, but... This, I have to acknowledge that. And that really, personally for me, that really resonates with me because I like the idea of being able to say, well, okay, well, yes, that's, I acknowledge that. And what about this? And have you considered this as well? So I've decided to call it that. Uh, to that end, I've also set up a pretty rudimentary website as well, uh, yesandpodcast.com, uh, where I hope to host these podcasts uh, and via Podbean as well. 
Uh, you, uh, so on, on this website, you'll be able to comment, download past episodes, and hopefully, you know, we can get you to contribute as well. I, I really do want to be able to share this conversation broadly beyond us and to all of our listeners, <laughs> however many of them there might be at this stage. So if you do want to get in contact with us, please leave us a comment on the website. Uh, you can also tweet to me uh, directly at underscore Scott Co. That's Co with a K. Uh, and that's it. So, like I said, hope you enjoyed and hope to be bringing you another episode real soon. Bye.